Grab your Bibles. Um, Daniel, one of our elders, is going to bring God's Word to us today. And he's going to be coming from the book of Daniel. It's a one-off. Next week, we're going to be back into 1 Peter for three weeks. Um, so grab your Bibles. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. It's great to have your Bibles open in front of you. It's a bit of a longer passage today, but it is great for us to read this and to hear it. And let's be reminded that as we read this, this is actually God's Word to us. How amazing it is that the God of the universe is speaking to us. Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to read through to verse 23 as Daniel comes to preach. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be repelled. And so King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repelled. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing, he still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then the kings returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. 
And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. May God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You know, there's a, um, there's a story of an elderly man who lay dying in his bed at home. And close to death, he suddenly smells the aroma of his favourite chocolate chip cookies wafting up the stairs towards him. He gathers his remaining strength and he slowly lifts himself from the bed. Leaning against the wall, he, ma- he slowly makes his way out of the, out of the bedroom and slowly makes his way down the stairs, gripping the railing with both hands. With laboured breath, he finally gets downstairs, he leans against the door frame, and he looks into the kitchen. And were it not for the pain in his knees and the pain in his back, he would have thought that he's already in heaven. Because there spread out upon trays and trays upon the kitchen bench are hundreds of his favourite chocolate chip cookies, straight out of the oven. And he thinks to himself, have I died and gone to heaven? Or is this one final act of love from my devoted wife, seeing seeing to it that I leave this world a happy person, a happy man? And mustering one great final strength, he throws himself towards the table, he lands on his knees, he parts his lips, the wondrous taste of the cookie already in his mouth, almost, not quite, but almost bringing him back to life. The aged and and withered hand shakingly makes its way to a cookie that's right there at the edge of the kitchen table. And then all of a sudden it's smacked away by his wife's spatula. She says, don't touch those, they're full of funeral. (laughs) You know things are shaky when you're still alive and the cookies are being made for your funeral, right? Now today we're going to look at what it means to be unshakable in a shaky world. Unshakable in a shaky world. Now when I say, when I use the word unshakable, I'm not talking about a person who is perfect and doesn't make mistakes, right? I'm not talking about someone who doesn't go through trials in their life. And I'm definitely not talking about someone who has no weaknesses or flaws in their character. But what I am talking about is a person who is consistent in character. A person who is persistent through trials. And a person who stands up for what is right. And what do I mean by a shaky world? Just have a look at today's headlines. And I haven't even studied these. This is from the Sydney Morning Herald. You can just open up any day and see what the headlines read. 
for those sports fans. Rennie slams officials as 14 men wallabies fall to Wales. New South Wales records 176 new COVID cases and two deaths. Thousands protest in Sydney against vaccine mandates. Darlings of the freedom movement must denounce the anti-Semites in their wings. Um, there's all sorts of stuff here. Heavy rain hampers Tyrell search, William Tyrell search as police continue investigation. And so on. Tenth of our fish populations are on the brink of global collapse. That's what I'm talking about when I say we live in a shaky world. However, in the midst of this shaky world, there is hope. Thank God for his word because not only does God's word show us the pain and the anguish and the ugliness of this world, but what it also does is it offers hope as we face this world. You know, there are many men and there are many women in the Bible who we can hold up as exceptional examples of an unshakable life. But for me, there's one that stands out really strongly, and that is my man, Daniel, the very person that I've been named after. We can look at Daniel's life and be greatly encouraged to be unshakable in our lives, to be unshakable in our faith. Now, Daniel begins his life in Judah, in the land that God has promised to Daniel's ancestors to be theirs as long as they serve him. But the problem is, they never really serve him the way they should. And so, after many, not years, but after many generations of disloyalty, and after many generations of, of rejection of God, God's patience runs out and he removes them from their land by allowing Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the enemy king, to capture them and to destroy Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms. And so Daniel, he's exiled, he's led into captivity with a whole bunch of other Israelites and Jews and he walks the long journey to Babylon, to the neighbouring enemy nation as a young bloke, as a youth. And when he gets there, he's actually chosen to serve in the king's court with the wisest men of the country. But despite living and, and working in a pagan land, Daniel remains completely faithful to his God. And what does God do? God blesses him for it. The Bible says that Daniel's God-given wisdom is far above anyone else's wisdom at the time. His ability to interpret dreams brings him great advancement. And he's placed as chief over all the wise men at a very young age. And he's eventually promoted to second, to second in the entire kingdom under King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And now this brings us to Daniel chapter 6 and the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And this story, I reckon, has got to rank in the top 10, possibly even the top 5 of the most familiar and the most loved passages in scripture and you know we often tell the story as a as a children's story as a as a kids church story and we encourage our children to to dare to be a Daniel and that's well and good I love that 
But what we've got to understand is that this is actually the story of an elderly gentleman. And so we should invite and encourage the elderly in our church to also dare to be a Daniel, just as much as the children and the youth. And our Bible scholars believe that Daniel was somewhere between the ages of 16 and 18 when he left his land, when he was led into captivity and became a prisoner and an exile. So if he was, let's say, 18, let's place, place him at 18, a young man of 18 years old when he's led into captivity. By the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, and King Nebuchadnezzar has now passed away, he's died, and a new king, King Darius, has just over, overtaken Babylon as the, new, as the new king of the Persian kingdom. Daniel is now about 85 years old as we come to Daniel chapter 6. And a lot of changes have taken place for him at this time, or by this time. They've changed his name. They've changed his language, his clothes. They've changed his homeland. But what I love is this. They cannot and could not change his heart. Daniel is the same man he was at 85 that he was at 18. His heart remains unchanged. For when we read this book of Daniel, we read that Daniel honoured God, right? And because he did so, God exalted Daniel. Even in the midst of captivity, remember at the back of your minds, Daniel is in exile. He's a captive. So let's take up the story in Daniel chapter, one, chapter 6, verse 1. And I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bibles if you've got them. Read along with me if you've got your devices. Click on your Bible app and open that up as well. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius, that's King Darius, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Now, satraps, I never knew what that meant, I had to look it up. It simply means uh, provincial governors. So governors, guys in charge of particular provinces in the nation. So he appointed 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king may not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So what was it that distinguished Daniel above all the other leaders? What was it? The verse we just read says it was his exceptional qualities. You know, I'd love for someone to say that about me or God to think that about me. You know, this man's got exceptional qualities about him. And I love the way the King James Version puts this verse. And this is what it says. <clears throat> it says, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Man, what a way to put it, right? The Bible says that Daniel had something. He had something that these other guys didn't have. That there was something. Even though Daniel was a Jew and was not a native of the nation, even though he was a foreigner amongst them, there was something in him that the king found useful in serving the good of the nation. And he couldn't, you can't put, put you know, a specific name to it. But the Bible says it was an excellent spirit. And as we continue to read about the life of Daniel and study 
all the things that Daniel went through, you see this constant spirit of excellence in his life. It's unmistakable. And even when there's opportunities for Daniel to brag about how much he could do and how, how well he can interpret dreams and, and how high he'd been you know, promoted in the kingdom, even during those times, he gave all the credit back to God. So amongst other things, Daniel was a dream interpreter and was favoured by every foreign nation that took over. One king would die and Daniel would still be standing. Another king would rise up and soon fall and there was Daniel in line for a higher position in the next reign of the following kingdom. Daniel was always there, always in the lead, always making it through and attaining more and more notoriety each and every step of the way. But here's the situation. <laughs> right? These are the leaders and officials <clears throat> that he's working with that are, that are around him. What does human nature dictate they're going to feel? going to be happy for him, do you reckon, that he's being promoted constantly and looked up to while they're not? What do you reckon's going to, how are they going to feel, do you reckon? One word, starts with J. It's jealous. <laughs> Human nature dictates they're going to be jealous and, and they were. <clears throat> and so they come up with a bright idea. Now, it's a manipulative idea and it's a dishonest and sinful idea, but to them, in their minds, it's a bright idea nonetheless. And the idea has to do with bringing Daniel down. Right, simple as that. They want to bring this guy down. Have a look. Have a look at your Bibles, verses 4 and 5. <clears throat> at this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the first avenue that these guys pursued in their efforts to oust Daniel from office was to try to find grounds for accusing him in his conduct of government affairs, right? They tried to find something that could bring him down when it came to his job performance, but the Bible says they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. They were unable to find one single ground of accusation, not one shred of evidence they could find to bring him down. So let me ask you this. How would you like to come under that kind of scrutiny? How would you fare if your life was scrutinised the way Daniel's was? If your public life and your personal world, both of them were put under the microscope, how would you come out? If for some reason serious questions arose about your character and you began to be ruthlessly investigated, how would you hold up? Would it make you nervous? Is there anything that you would need to burn, hide, destroy? Any documents that would need to be shredded? Any Google searches that would need to be deleted and wiped. You know, the interesting thing in our passage today is that Daniel was like most of us, in that his calling wasn't to be a preacher or his calling wasn't to be a pastor. You know, he, he didn't spend his days in what is commonly known as the ministry. 
Instead, he was a godly man who did his work for God and in the presence of God. Daniel had what we call a Christian worldview. He didn't fall into the trap of dividing his, you know, the secular world and the spiritual world into two, right? Instead, he had learned to live out all of his life before the presence of God. Theologians call this coram dio, deo, coram dio. It's a Latin phrase which literally means before the face of God. It is the idea that Christians are living in the presence of, under the authority of, and to the honour and glory of God. Coram Deo, before the face of God. So when he did his work, he did it as an offering to God, as an act of service for God. His work was always ultimately for the king above the king. And that's why his opponents could find no corruption in him. And where to be the same? Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. This is a passage we looked at only two or three weeks ago. Right? Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, that's what Daniel is, right? He's a foreigner and he's an exile, and so are we. As foreigners and exiles, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now listen to this. Live such good lives among the pagans, or among the world, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's exactly what Daniel does. So have a look at the plan that these guys come up with eventually. Have a look with me at verse 6. Daniel chapter 6, verse 6. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, O Majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Your Majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So what does it say? What does King Darius do? He says, so King Darius put the decree in writing. So their plan's been put into motion. Not because there's a flaw in Daniel, not because they found something corrupt in him, but because there's a flaw in the king, in King Darius. And that is the king's pride. Right? Not only is jealousy a terrible thing, as we've seen in these, these governors and, and officials, but so is pride. Pride will destroy you. What these men are saying to the king is that, King Darius, you, you need to be God for a month, for 30 days. You need to be God, right? And the king thinks, well, <clears throat> okay, well, yeah, I like the sound of that. I get to be praised, I get to be prayed to for a month, and no one else. Sounds good. And so he signs the decree. Now Daniel, <laughs> mate, he's... He's faced with an awful decision, isn't he? Right? He's got to decide whether to continue praying to his God, continue being faithful to his God, or does he give in to this God in the month rubbish? He knows that the decree has been signed, 
And so when you think about it, there's a whole bunch of things that Daniel could have done at this point, right? He could have rationalized the whole situation. He could have said, well, you know, it's only 30 days. I can go 30 days without praying. It's not a big deal. Or he could have said, well, you know, I can still pray to God, but I can do it silently and in secret so no one hears or sees me doing it. And he could have closed the windows, he could have prayed in private, he could have kept his religion to himself. How about this one? Have you ever, ever used this one? That's cool. It's cool. I don't need to pray to God because God knows my heart. <laughs> God knows my heart. Yeah? I don't need to come to church regularly because God knows my heart. I don't need to read the Bible every day because A, I'm not a reader, <laughs> and B, God knows my heart. You know, you can pretty much justify anything that you don't want to do by simply saying God knows my heart. And the thing is, you don't know how right you are. Right? God does know your heart. He sees past all the excuses and he knows the real reasons why, don't, why we don't come to him in prayer, why we don't read our Bibles as much as we should, why we don't come in to church and fellowship with our brothers and sisters like we should. So Daniel's world has been shaken. It's just been made illegal to pray to God for the next 30 days. But we know that Daniel is a man of unshakable faith, right? Daniel has many excuses he can use to avoid prayer and avoid being thrown into a den, into a pit full of hungry, ravenous lions as punishment. But we've just read that Daniel has what? An excellent spirit in him. So what does he do? What option does he take? Have a look at verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had always done. How completely awesome is that? <laughs> despite, despite the shaky world around him, Daniel remained unshakable. What does he do? He held his ground and he continues to pray just as he had done before. Just as he's always done. Business as usual. You know, I imagine this old man going up into his chamber and like he'd done since he was a boy, since a youth, I imagine him opening the windows so he could look out towards the now destroyed temple at Jerusalem. I imagine him going to the shelf and, and pulling down his prayer mat. I imagine him laying it down on the floor and then taking his old withered body into a kneeling position, giving thanks to his God, just as he had always done before. Let me tell you something. Prayer is key to an unshakable life and an unshakable faith. Daniel held his ground and simply prayed. And notice how he prayed. This 85-year-old man got down on his knees. In an act of humility, he wasn't afraid to get his knees dirty, his old painful knees. You know, we often use the excuse that we're too, too busy to pray. Not enough hours in the day, right? Guys, Daniel was second in command of a huge empire. And he, yet he wasn't too proud or too busy 
to get on his knees before the Lord three times a day. He realised that no matter what worldly position he held, he was still under God. He still needed God's grace and mercy every single day. He recognised that he wouldn't have been in the prominent position that he was if God hadn't have put him there in the first place. So he always made it a point to set aside the necessary time from his daily schedule to come before God in prayer, pouring out all his fears, pouring out all his worries, pouring out all his praises to him. You know, I once saw a bumper sticker on one of those on a car and it said, when you're faced with a busy day, save precious time by skipping prayer. Signed, Satan. That's what Satan wants us to do, not pray. <laughs> and what did he pray about? How could you do this to me, Lord? Where are you? What have you, where are, what have you, why, what have I done to deserve this? No, the passage says that he simply gave thanks to his God. There was no sign of panic. There was no sign of despair. It was almost an insane amount of calmness and routine in Daniel. As he prayed and gave thanks, just like he always had. An excellent spirit. Excellent spirit and an unshakable faith. You know, when you receive bad news, how do you respond? Panic? Panic? Anger, distress, probably all of those and a few more, right? And yet Daniel responded with thankfulness while experiencing total calmness and total peace of mind, a peace that comes from God. But how? How was that even possible? Well, for one thing, he must have known God's word intimately. He must have known the history of his people, the Israelites. When they were threatened with extinction due to a famine in Israel... God didn't let them starve. When they were on the edge of the Red Sea, God didn't abandon them or let them be wiped out. Long before Daniel even lived, we read these words in Psalm 91. Because he loves me, says the Lord. Because he loves me, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Daniel didn't just read that and go, yeah, that's cool, nice words. No, he took that to heart. He believed that with all his heart. You see, for Daniel, prayer was the key. It happened three times a day, facing Jerusalem with the windows open upstairs. Not in secret. Happened in good times and bad times. It happened when nobody cared and it happened when it could have got him killed. Prayer was central. Right? Prayer wasn't the only thing, but it was part of an overall way of living which Daniel used to keep himself immersed and protected from the overwhelming power and pressure of the culture and the world around him. So how are we doing that today is my question. How are we doing that today? When you read your Bible and you see the word church in the New Testament, it's a Greek word, ekklesia. And ekklesia literally means the called out ones. Right? So if the people who make up the church, that's us, if we're the called out ones, in what sense are we currently functioning in that capacity in our culture today? 
In what sense are we living in a way that shows that we're called out and set apart for the purpose of living in service to God? So Daniel goes into his house, climbs up the stairs into his room, opens his windows, gets down on his knees and prays to his God. Unshakable faith and an excellent spirit. Now those jealous administrators and officials, after seeing, seeing Daniel praying at his window, what do they do? They go to the king and they dob on Daniel. <laughs> they dob him in. They make it very clear to King Darius that Daniel has openly broken the law and so he therefore must be put to death immediately by being thrown to the lions. Have a look at verse 14 with me. It says, When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Now, obviously, King Darius had a lot of respect for Daniel. And it seems as if their relationship was a good one. In fact, they may have even enjoyed a close friendship with each other. I don't know, but that's what it appears like. Because when he realises, when the king realises the effect that the decree has had on Daniel, his friend, when he realises how stupid he's been in the trap that he's just been pulled into, right? It says that he becomes greatly distressed and that all day he frantically tries to think of ways that he can save Daniel or prevent Daniel from being thrown to the lions. But as the sun sets that day, the king realises that all his efforts have been futile. There is no solution. There's no loophole in the decree that he's just signed. Have a look at verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the, whole, spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. So they throw Daniel into this den, into this enclosure with the hungry lions, and they seal the door closed, or the entrance closed with a massive stone. Daniel is there to face a bunch of hungry, ravenous lions with no way to defend himself. And he's willing to face whatever comes his way. Mate, he's, he's now 85 years old. <laughs> right? He served God far too long to back out now. But the funny thing is, about that night, is not that Daniel isn't afraid. The strange thing is that the king can't sleep. <laughs> right? He doesn't eat anything that night. He doesn't want any entertainment. Oh, poor baby. No belly dancers in his chambers that night. <laughs> right? He keeps wondering, what time is it? Is Daniel still alive? What's he going to find when he removes a stone from the opening of the den? Is Daniel's God really able to save him? Why did he let the others trick him into doing this to Daniel? You see the irony here? Right, Daniel is in a dirty, dusty den, surrounded by hungry lions, and yet he's at peace. King Darius, in his luxurious palace, surrounded by servants, and yet he's stressed and anxious. Can't sleep, can't eat. 
Unshakable faith? No faith. An excellent spirit in him and a worldly spirit. See the difference? See the irony? Now, I don't think any of us are going to be tossed amongst literal lions anytime soon, but we do face all kinds of situations that are every bit as hungry as a real lion, yeah? And I'm talking about the pressures of life, the, the circumstances and the challenges that, that we face that threaten to consume us. The Bible says that all of us have a foe, an enemy that's like a lion. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, I've read that one of the most loudest and terrifying sounds in the jungle is the sound of a roaring lion. I was speaking to someone here at church the other week and they were saying that they live not too far, about a kilometre away from, is it Sydney Zoo, the one in Western, Western Sydney, the new one? And at times, a kilometre away, and at times they can hear the roar of the lions there in their enclosure. And it's one of those sounds that I reckon, it's like one of those things that kind of shakes your insides, like it's like when, when thunder, you know, smashes close to you. Is that one of those, you know, sort of sounds that shakes you around? And sometimes they say that just the roar of a lion is enough to paralyse its prey. And let me tell you something, the main weapon the devil has is his roar. <laughs> you know, his bark is really worse than his bite. Jesus has pretty much rendered old Satan toothless and clawless since the cross. But there is still some folk who are frightened into spiritual paralysis by his roar. Let's have a look how it all ends for Daniel. Have a look at verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They haven't hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. So God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. Now for those of you who are familiar with the book of Daniel, I'm going to ask you to cast your minds back to Daniel chapter 3. We're three young, faithful Hebrew boys. Remember them? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? They're thrown into a fiery furnace as punishment for not bowing down to a, a, an idol, a massive statue made of gold. And in that furnace it says that a fourth... Remember, there's three boys in there, but a fourth figure appears, it says. One who was described as looking like a son of the gods, or an angel, in other words. You know, many theologians believe that this figure was none other than Jesus Christ himself. Now, I don't know for sure. I'm not going to preach that, but I'll leave that up to you to decide. And this figure, whether he was an angel or whether he was Jesus, he didn't stop the three boys from being thrown into the flames. It happened, it took place. But he did walk with them and he did save them from being devoured by those flames. 
And so in this instance, in the lion's den, God sends an angel as well to shut the mouths of the lions. And Daniel comes out unscathed, unharmed. So this morning I'm going to tell you that you too, you too may face a lion's den. A lion's den that affects your life in some way. But like Daniel, take inspiration and encouragement from him, from this. Like Daniel, go on with business as usual. For we serve a Christ who is able to go into the lion's den with us. We serve a Christ who is able to see us through the lion's den. But the thing is, you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord, not on the lion's. Yeah? Now, right now, you may be in a lion's den of a broken marriage, a lion's den of a broken family, a lion's den of a loss of health, a lion's den of a loss of employment. But keep your eyes on the Lord and he will see you through, untouched by the flames and unharmed by the lions. Yeah, we live in a world of shaky headlines. We do. For the past two years, we've been living with the shakiness of COVID and and the debate over vaccinated and unvaccinated continues. And it's not only divided opinions, but it's divided friendships, it's divided families, it's even divided churches. Let's not allow that to happen to us, church. Let's not. You've heard from James this morning how well we've been doing here at Tingabi. Let's continue to do well, yeah? Let's continue to have that excellent spirit within us. Let's continue to show grace on both sides. It doesn't matter what side of the equation you're on, show grace to the other side. As you, are, as you have been. Let's not allow the devil to gain a foothold. Let's have a look at how this chapter ends. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. And this is what he wrote. He said, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. You see, despite the headlines, despite the pandemic, despite the difficulties that we face, God is good. God is still on his throne. He hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't turned away from us. And remember this, his plans remain unchanged. His plans for us as individuals, for us as a church, his plan of salvation has not changed despite these outside things going on. And if he can turn a destructive and I would say even demonic decree into one like this, a decree that goes out to all the nations and all the peoples of every language in all the known world and places Daniel's God and our God as the only true and living God who endures forever, whose kingdom will never end. If our God can do that, then imagine what he can do for you in the midst of your shaky world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this amazing example in your word of, of this man, Daniel, who, who honoured you even as an old man who showed integrity to his dying day. 
who loved you, who, who took your word seriously, who took his relationship with you seriously to the point where he prayed on his knees in public three times a day, even when it was illegal to do so, even when it could have gotten him killed. Father, we take great encouragement and inspiration from him. And, and, and Father, we just pray that you can help us be in some way like, like Daniel, like the Hebrew Daniel. Father, we, we acknowledge that we serve a risen Christ. We acknowledge that the devil has lost his power because of the cross, because you died, because you rose from the dead. You overcame and, beca and, and became victorious over death, over the grave. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And Father, we just pray that we can serve you with humility, like Daniel did, that we can serve you with grace and be gracious to those around us, even when we have different opinions, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different values. Father, we're all equal under you, under your headship. And we thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.